Welcome to Angel Wing LLC. This is Sachin here with Dr. Elizabeth Berman. She is going to uh, continue her exposition on um, the whole concept of self-mastery. And in doing so, there are many other related ideas that we, are we're, we have been getting into. Last time we started talking about identity and what is identity formation and many other related ideas. Today, Dr. Berman, I want to ask you about um, uh, identification. This is something that uh, we've all talked about quite a bit, that we're identified with our names, with our traditions, with our physical form, with our thoughts, with our emotions. Um, Dr. Chetna Krupala, she talks a lot about this. You also at times ha have talked about this identification phenomena. Uh, what is meant by identification from your perspective? Um, Um, I, the first thing that comes to mind is um, a sense of self, a way of organizing my experiences that I could even use the term my. And, and we need that. Uh, I would say identification and ego are very much the same thing. I think the words are different, but in some ways can be used interchangeably. And, and we need a sense of ourselves. We live in a, we live in a reality that, that, ha that is based on duality. Let me put that. Language and words our way of forming how we make sense out of sensory input. And there's a way in which the word is supposed to capture one thing to the exclusion of all other things. So a tree, a tree is not the sky behind it. A tree is not the ground below it. A tree is not the flower. A tree, tree, has leaves, but it's not a leaf, right? So, so in order for a, a word to have meaning and the word to point to something, identifying it so that we can use language to share ideas, information, whatever. Words are very important. So the I, the me, the way I learn to identify myself is very much a function of how other people treat me and speak about me. And so slowly but surely, there's a way in which I begin to identify myself as not my sister, not the couch I'm sitting on, right? And, and the further that development goes, the more it includes that I am not. I am not that sect. I am not that gender. I am not, you know, I'm not. The knots start getting very, not the knots, K-N-O-T, but the N-O-T, right? Uh, start getting very big and, and then start reinforcing the sense of identity of who I am. Now, having said all that, I want to, to point out something critically important, which is the beginning of this formation of the I am, <coughs> even though it's I am not, you know, my brother, I am not excuse me, my pet, um, all, of, all of that at some point in the very, very beginning comes from somebody else's idea of me because I'm too young to, and I don't have any programming in my brain to discern. They're telling me I am this. I don't know. I don't have enough information in my brain to evaluate whether that's very accurate or not. So we, I think most human beings come through a process of 
thinking of owning an identity or an identification that they relate to as descriptive of themselves without ever questioning how accurate, valid, true, all of those things they are. We simply accept it because that's the culture, that's the environment, that's what everybody around me believes. And the word belief is a very interesting one because it contains within it the word lie. Um, and that's yes. always interesting to point out to myself when I, when I realize I'm getting very kind of emotionally <clears throat> attached to a belief. And do I need to, do I myself need to kind of look at, well, what into creating that belief that I am this or I am not that? Okay, so, yeah, so thank you for that nice introduction. We live in a world where we function through this identification you're talking about. This is how we interact with other people. We interact based on names, based on our qualifications, based on our attitudes, beliefs, desires. All of that is what's, what's driving us. Um, are we saying in Angel Wing that it may be possible to become much more aware of the identification phenomena itself? And if that's the case, there's a series of questions I have for you. What is that awareness of identification? And then why, what is the benefit of that also? So the answer to your question is, is Angel Wing asking us to look at, I don't remember your exact words, this sense of identification. Absolutely. I think that that's what I was trying to express when I was talking about what is identification. And more specifically, I think in what I was saying, I was trying to point out what it is not. In the sense of duality, this is something because it is not all these other things. And I think that there, that's a very important way to understand. You know, when we look at something visually, there's a figure and a background, right? And they have these images where it kind of challenges you to figure out what's figure, what's ground. Because if I look at one particular one, I see a vase. If I look at it, that same picture in a little different way, I see two faces looking at each other, right? So what is that a picture of? A vase or two faces facing each other? And I would offer to you that the more we examine who am I really from our own felt experience, as opposed to what I've been told and conditioned I am, the more we're able to see more than one reality in every experience. Okay, so I have a quite okay, so I have a question for you right there. I, I'm told that I'm whatever, whatever I've been conditioned with from my culture, tradition, whatever, right? So if I am to become aware of that, what do I need to do to become aware of that? Because most most people are just functioning through it, right? So we're trying to teach in Angel Wing the step-by-step -step process of re reaching that awareness. Oh, this is my conditioning. This is how I'm identified. Well, I would offer that <clears throat> there are a couple of ways to approach this. One is to develop some skills that allow us to value quiet alone time. And to begin in the space of not so much disruption, pulling us out from our own inner awareness to whatever, a screen, an interaction, or this or that, right? So quiet alone time offers us the ability to just go inside. I mean, we, 
yes, we have a body. And I think it's fairly easy to identify, yes, we have thoughts, yes, we have emotions, right? Can we begin to take a journey within ourselves, with it, using awareness to go within the phenomenon of sensory input and what that creates inside of us? And sometimes, that's hard to do because maybe the first level of that is because you realize, oh my God, my mind is never shutting up. This kind of subliminal or basic baseline liminal yap, yap, yap about the mind, opinions about everything that often are uncomfortable to sit with, but hold a great deal of information in terms of, wow, is this really what I believe? Is this really what I'm thinking? And that then begins another whole avalanche of questions of why would I believe that? Why would I think that? I mean, if we just start looking at self-criticism, uh, you know, a big thing now is self-compassion and how important self-compassion is in psychological well-being. Um, if we start to listen to what's going on inside, an awful lot of the inner voice or the inner critic is not very compassionate at all. And if we can recognize that that's going on on some level and begin to, one, use it to question it. Why would I say this about myself? Why would I say I'm dumb for not being able to get this on the first try? we begin to realize that we have an inner world that's very powerful, very influential, and lo and behold, we have some ability to learn from it and to shift it. Yes, yes, uh, certainly. Um, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, good. So. This is, it's very difficult for, so, for many people to um, kind of sit back and just be aware of that identification. Even if they are, the next thing that usually happens is what's next? Okay, so I'm aware of my identification, now what? Well, I would offer to you that being in nature is very helpful because nature is very benevolent, right? Non-judgmental. And simply, especially if you can get into nature in a way that you don't have a lot of man-made noise, um, kind of calling your attention away from just sitting under a tree and quietly letting yourself just relax into whatever there is, there's a very powerful technique called just allow. Can I allow myself to become aware of what's going on inside of me? What's going on inside of my body? The body's always giving us cues. A lot of times we ignore them until something really bad develops and the pain becomes so great or the you know, lack of mobility becomes so great, then we start to say, okay, what do I need to do to take care of my body here? But our bodies are always talking to us, our minds are always talking to us, our emotions are always talking to us. How aware are we of that to just allow ourselves to be present to what's happening in a moment? because these are dimensions of ourselves we're not usually aware of. And many, much of what we're not aware of is something we don't want to experience. And so we push it down. But if everything is energy, the energy that is driving that thought, the energy that is uh, creating that feeling inside of the body, you don't pay attention to it, it gets stronger and stronger until you finally can't avoid it, really. And often, and, and see, that for me is the opposite of self-mastery. That means everything, 
else is in charge because I'm pushing things away that I don't want that need to be attended to one way or another and will be attended to one way or another, certainly it's going to be harder to attend to them the longer I ignore that they exist. And also that raises the, the question of happiness, that we're, yeah. you know, we're trying to be happy, we want to be happy. Nonetheless, quite a bit of this identification uh, creates conflict. Uh, when really identification has a great interactional, transactional purpose. Yes. So could yes. you dis could you distinguish between these two, the the interactional slash transactional, and then that conflict laden aspect? Well, I think the identification, the conflict laden aspect, comes when we feel discomfort. Right, so the discomfort of being with someone <clears throat> that I have been taught is dangerous or different or whatever can make me react in very contracted kinds of ways. Um, the, 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 the identification aspect can help me to relate to others if I see someone who I've been taught, who I identify as looking like me, sounding like me, dressing like me, maybe eating the same foods that I like eating, then perhaps that opens me in a sense of familiarity to be able to interact with that person. Now, there are a lot of assumptions that go on in both of those interactions, right? The one, the being who doesn't look so much like me, how do I, it, how do I know that they're dangerous or will be confrontational or, you know, that withdrawing is better than approaching? How do I know that just because somebody's likes his, or is wearing the same clothes I'm wearing is going to be kind and benevolent towards me. These are kind of built in, I think, assumptions that go along with perhaps more on a subliminal level um, with identification and looking for like, feeling that we're going to be safe and or slash happy when we're with people we know, we get, a, you know, and, and how, how many times have we heard everywhere? How well do you really know anybody? I would offer, how well do I really know myself? And maybe that's a good place to start. Yes, and, and then that, uh, that also uh, has to do with the images we have of other people and of ourselves. Have, the images are interacting. Uh, the, the formation of images is a process and then the images interact. So many times we are interacting in very distorted, biased ways rather than really being still enough, attentive enough, patient enough to uh, be with other people just in their presence. I would say we start by being with ourselves in our own presence. Right. And therefore, we have the capacity to extend that to be uh, with another. Yes, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. So to, to be able to just be with yourself, that seems very, very, it's, it seems simple, but it's, mm -hmm. it's actually perhaps one of the greatest challenges in life. You know, Absolutely. Because, right? Okay. Like, so, it, for example, if I'm sitting under a, a tree in a beautiful garden and the environment is nice and the temperature is good, even then there is so much activity going on within me that uh, I am pulled by all that activity in so many ways. And much of that activity comes from that identification with my memories, with, my, with certain attachments, with certain life circumstances with beliefs, so many, so many things are there. Um, so eventually reaching towards self-mastery, can you, can you talk more about how to deal with the internal flux, the internal chaos, if I I'll put that in quotation, uh, how does one deal with that? Because 
it's, we, we don't take the time out to sit with ourselves. And if we do, it is very uncomfortable. It is un difficult to do. And we get bored with it or we feel like or get stuck in thought loops and stuff. It's a, it's a difficult thing at times. Can you elaborate some more on that? Yes, it is difficult. And it's difficult because we tend to come to it after we've developed um, some pretty firm habits about how we are in the world, right? And yes, that coincides with our identification of ourselves. Um, but it also comes with having internalized a lot of information that when we were very young helped us to navigate an environment. As human beings, we are helpless for a very long time after birth. So perhaps it's the will to survive or the instinct of survival that begins us monitoring and tracking very early on what appears to be pleasure versus pain. And I'll, I'll, I'll define that as a lot of psychologists do operationally, right? So pleasure, maybe pleasure for me, i.e. I'm crying because I'm hungry, right? And I have a pain in my gut and it's a biological response to cry in pain. Um, and I see this being who turns out to be my mother. At some point, I have a name for it, right? Her or him, whatever, or them. Um, and, and that smile or that cooing, gentle voice is followed by nourishment. That's what I mean by positive, right? Negative is a frown that is maybe followed by a slamming door and I'm left to scream by myself in the room until I just shut up finally from exhaustion. So that's what I mean. A very primitive, positive, negative response connection. So we become so expert at looking for what we think the other needs or wants to hear or see, so they will be benevolent towards us, right? And, and that, that creates a lot of patterns. And some of those patterns are a constant nagging inside. You weren't kind enough. You weren't quick enough. You did, why did you take so many? Your dad's going to be furious when you bring this report card home. You know, this constant barrage of pointing out everything we did wrong, because that's the default mechanism in the brain, because we're still carrying the same brain that we evolved with through many different kinds of um, situations, but staying alive was paramount. And, and when the brain is not engaged in solving a problem, and it can be as easy and as simple as a, a crossword puzzle, right? Um, it default, when it doesn't have an immediate task at hand to organize and focus it to do something, it goes to the default mechanism. They've identified it on images, you know, in imaging techniques. I call it the oh my God part of the brain. What could go wrong now? What did I do bad? Oh my God, right? Right, right, exactly, exactly. So there are these default mechanisms, these, these, these pre-programmed or programmed mechanisms that are active all the time. <clears throat> and I would um, offer that there's, there's a biology that's yes. active that, that comes yes. before the programming. Very much so. And also, we could also say, um, and I have some questions for you about this also, that, that the programming, the conditioning, the hardwiring from the culture, from tradition, from language, from beliefs, from values, this is all necessary. It, whether, whatever the quality of it might be, if it is not present, if it is not present, then you have a mind that is not developed at all. So, so it seems to me that that whatever the quality of the conditioning or programming or, or you know, 
the content of uh, content of the mind, whatever it is, whatever it is, it, there has to be something there. Then only you can actually rise above that and find something new. But it, you know, but if there is no conditioning, if there is no there is no language acquisition, there is no belief acquisition, there is no there, there is no um, uh, uh, humanity as such that is that is programmed in terms of human culture. The human being is just an animal. I mean, you know, that, that there's uh, that, that a child that is uh, not brought up in human civilization, what will happen? It'll be like an animal, basically. You know, so 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 it seems to me that there is some great purpose to conditioning and identification. And my question to you is about, you know, what is uh, how far is the benefit of conditioning? And then, and then at what point does a person really uh, rise above this? At what point is a person able to rise above this? No, I don't know that I'm really equipped to answer that. I can answer it generally from my experiences, but I think there have been and may still be cultures on this planet that have such a different lifestyle and experience than I do, that it's hard for me to imagine that. I mean, uh, but if an infant, a, a human infant is raised within a very coherent, loving environment, where the mother's not stressed, the family structure is one of people um, peaceful, more peaceful, right? Than basically much of what I've experienced since I've been in this human body. And that perhaps in that kind of environment, people are free to begin to explore their inner world in a way that's typically not afforded to people in the quote unquote more civilized world. Uh, I don't know whether civilized is the accurate word there, right? But, but I'm talking about the more technological, the more whatever, mechanized maybe even, you know, there's some people who still live, I think, deep in the rainforest with very different ways of life. And perhaps when they're, you know, six or seven or nine, right? There's supposedly a, a saint living in the Himalayan mountains, Babaji, who actually figured out how to stop aging at age 16. So he's still there, supposedly hundreds of years later, in his 16-year-old body. Well, there had to be a certain amount of peace surrounding him during those first 16 years, right? That he could examine himself as being in a human body and figure out how to work with that body in a way that we don't experience aging. I, I, that he didn't experience aging the way I do, and I assume most other people around me do. Yes. So I would say the environment is a really big deal. And what I mean by environment is more, mostly the psychological environment, because the psychological environment of the people in charge will set the tone of the interactions of the people in that environment. That's right. That's right. Okay, so I have a, a, just a couple more uh, follow-ups here. See, let's take the physical body. Physical body, you know, we use the this expression physical fitness, physical conditioning. By exercising the body, we can make the body fitter. We can make it stronger. We can make it healthier, make it um, more balanced, let's say. Is there an, an analogy on the mental side, psychological side to this? that by exercising the mind, by is there a way to make the mind stronger? And then, and then that, that is, relates to the question of identification and conditioning that it seems to me that we are so much chewing over our experiences 
that we are actually strengthening again and again that conditioning. We're strengthening again and again that, that identification. So the mind is in some sense getting stronger and stronger. And, that's, and so there's a strength to that identification. So Yeah, so I would go back because you said a lot and there are many layers of question embedded in this. The first thing is the mind, the mind generates thoughts, not necessarily. And, and if you just sit quietly and allow yourself to simply witness your thoughts instead of judging them or trying to control certain thoughts or other thoughts, you'll realize that over a pretty, fairly short period of time, the, the thoughts, the sequence of thoughts will contradict each other very, very fast. So, so the nature of the mind is to think, and it's going to think until we exit these bodies. So I would offer that the strengthening of the mind is not necessarily a great idea, but the discipline to strengthen our ability to focus and to be aware of what's going on internally, not just focus on the road because the traffic is hard and heavy, right? Yes, that's one kind of focus, but there's also the ability to be aware of what's going on, the thought process, and to, once you're aware of it and you can focus on it long enough, you then have, which, and it doesn't need to be for very long, but you recognize, I have a choice where I'm going to put my attention right now. I do not have to focus on this. Oh my God, I said the wrong thing in that interview. Will I get the job? Oh, if I don't get the job, then, you know, in the big, huge drama that we all create for ourselves. If at some point in there, I can recognize that's going on in, inside of my head, right? It, it's not inside of my head, it's my thoughts. Um, and they're just thoughts, they're mental energy. I have a choice. Contrary to the conditioning that just lets me be so afraid of all the things that might happen that could bring damage to my image or my identification of myself. And yes. so the yes. discipline then is the discipline of awareness, because without awareness, we never know we have a choice. Okay, okay, so this is really beautiful. And I'm so happy that you have spoken so fa fantastically. As I was listening to you, what I, I'll share with you what was coming in my mind directly, and that is a different kind of strength is developed. As opposed to the strength that is present due to heavy conditioning and identification, there's, there's certain strength in that. You know, people have strong beliefs of opinions and ideologies and things, there's a certain certain type of strength in that. And then there is a very different type of strength, perhaps, uh, where there is this awareness that is shining and there is steadiness and, and one, can, one can masterfully focus the mind in different areas, in different ways. Uh, it, it's a very interesting distinction. Um, this, was, this was in my mind and, and I thought I would ask you uh, uh, about this, that an individual who is wanting to move into self-mastery, what would you say to that individual about really tapping into the energy that is present, that is present when one is masterfully interacting with the world as opposed to interacting with, with the world and the people and whatnot through identification I would offer that you start with mastering yourself, not mastering the world around you. And that the mastery of the self requires quiet self-reflection, right? Okay so, okay, so let's talk about that. So the quiet self-reflection, let's say someone is sitting with that. It seems to me that a person can really 
reflect on the content within the mind. Can you speak to speak to what how to do that and what that is? Usually, most people are identified with the content, and they're just overrun by that. It just they just go into like a speed train, it just goes on from one thing to another. But yeah, so well, can you? There, there are certain skills that have been developed over time using breath, using different techniques that all have to do with the human body because here we are in our human bodies. Maybe there's a use for them beyond what gets me more stuff and money and power in the external world. Maybe there's another use for these techniques, these aspects, these potentials within this human body to observe with curiosity and what I mean by curiosity is without judgment. What is going on inside of me that I'm unaware of? Mm -hmm. And to be able to have the discipline to stay focused, right? And to identify, oh, that's, that's a thought. That's, I, I do not have to identify with my thoughts. I can recognize a thought watch it pass by me and not identify with it. Now, sometimes that, that discipline, that particular discipline takes a lot of sitting through a lot of thoughts that I don't particularly want to experience. But if over time learning to observe without identifying my thought, it's, not, it's a thought, right? It's a thought. What if I identify with the consciousness that's aware of the thought, not the thought itself? And then it starts to become easier to recognize that's just there because of conditioning. Uh, Do you know, it, things come, thoughts come and they go. There's a technique called the blue sky, right? The blue sky meaning pure consciousness. And the thought is the cloud that sometimes obscures the blue sky. But clouds always move on. Up to this date, anyway, the blue sky hasn't disappeared out of, all, out of my world, right? I'm, I'm literally meaning the sky, the atmosphere around the planet, right? That's the analogy. Blue sky, cloud. Thought is cloud. And so with a certain amount of discipline to stay focused, to just be present to the thought and not identify with it, we start to have an experience of ourself that's beyond thought, beyond conditioning. And that's what I was referring to earlier with, it's important to discipline ourselves to be aware and focused. Where am I going to put my attention? Aware of where, what's coming into my awareness? What's the content of my awareness at any moment? Be attentive to it and not the other things distracting me around me, the other thoughts, and choose is this where I want to put my focus? Because what we focus on, we create more of. Right, right, of course. Yes, yes, exactly. What we focus on, we create more of. So when a person is sitting with themselves in meditation or sitting in reflection, trying to just see what's going on, and the, the activity is quite a bit, activity continues in so many ways. Are you saying that there is a natural settling down of that activity, the quantity of that activity settles down, and at least in theory, maybe to a point of just complete steadiness? Is that, is that too theoretical, or what, what do you say about that? I would offer to you that your attention can get to a place where if that activity is still going on, you're not focusing on it. So in all for all experiential purposes, you're focusing on the, the, the pure awareness itself, right? And, and if, 
my experience is that that state gets broken when a thought has a hook on it and I, it catches me. And instead of just recognizing, oh, that's a thought and going back to that pure state of awareness, it's broken. The, 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 my relationship as pure awareness has a rent in it. And now I'm the thought and wherever that thought is taking me. So and it takes a lot of hours of coming back from the thought, <laughs> coming back from the thought. Because it's very fast. There's a tremendous yes. speed, speed yes. to the mind. Yes, yeah, yes, and, yes. And in many meditative traditions, uh, there, there is the notion that the, the thinking or thought or uh, this internal activity uh, is actually, uh, it's a type of subtle substance. It's, it's just like there's a physical substance, a physical body. Mind is also a process, it's a substance, but it's very subtle and, and it goes very, really quite fast. So who we really are is something quite different from that, from that activity and that's, that, that, that thing that we call the mind. Right. So, yeah. No, no, go ahead. So, 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 so the speed of the mind is tremendous. There's no question. It goes, it can go in any direction. Um, the steadying of the mind, steadying of thoughts and emotions, steadying of the activity of the mind. Would you say that that steadying is natural through this, sitting with the thoughts and letting them come and go and paying attention to the breath because we're breathing all the time. So the more we're aware of the breath, then to that extent, the thinking itself can stabilize and it, it'll keep coming and going and coming and going. And, and maybe there is a space of something different that's there, something that's open. You know, there's an openness that shows up that's not part of this uh, flux. But this is a quite profound state. I mean, I, I don't know what your thoughts are on this. Yeah, uh, yes. I would offer, you know, earlier when you said uh, that, that the mind is almost like a substance or, or the thoughts that get created. And I was reminded of some traditions that I'm aware of who, who talk about sin, right? And so the act, the overt act is a big sin or a mortal sin. And, and the thought about an act, right? The thought that might eventually, might precede an eventual acting on it is, is a lesser sin, a venial sin, but they're related, right? And years, yeah. Now I have an understanding of that relationship and, that, and it is what the mind focuses on, the mind creates and, and I don't, and, and what I mean by creation, not, not like here's the palm of my hand and I'm going to create a golden orb in it, no, but create the circumstances that will then draw me into the act itself. Or I don't need to get too much in that, but, but thoughts, thinking about something and having an experience of that in the third dimensional world are definitely related. And I don't know that in this day and age that very many people talk about that relationship and how important it is to have good mental hygiene, to pay attention to where your mind is dwelling. You know, that's a powerful word, this mental hygiene. I love that. That, that makes a lot of sense. And I mean, we think about physical hygiene, right? But we understand that. And even that people are not paying that much attention to as perhaps as they can. But mental hygiene would, I mean, that expression, there's an intimation there of recognizing the impurities that are present. Yeah, and yes, yes, yes. And maybe somebody would say impure is a good or not so good word, but I would offer to you that, um, our sensory world, at least right now, here today, is filled with a lot of information about violence. There's war going on, and we're seeing pictures of it on the television. There's insurrection going on. There, there's a lot of 
violence happening on the physical level of the world. And so seeing those pictures, having extended conversations about them, having arguments with people who don't agree with me about what's right and what's wrong, create and bring into my field, my thoughts, my emotions, and even actually my physical body, this contracted energy of violence, it's explosive kind of energy. And it's just a matter of time before in some way it gets acted out. If that's where, if that's what, if my mental hygiene is one of 90% of my waking day is filled with violence and hurtful exactly. thoughts, words, deeds, whatever. Exactly, exactly. <coughs> that violence is going to come into my actual physical world too. You know, there, there's an analogy that, that comes to mind, which I've read in many places that um, if, if you take up, if there's a pond that is extremely still, that there's not a single ripple, there's no wind, there's nothing, I mean, the sun is just shining, it's very clear, pure water, there's a pond, like a beautiful pond. But if you take one tiny pebble and drop it, it will disturb every molecule in that pond. In, even if it's the tiniest disturbance. So our mind, some yogis and those people who have perhaps reached higher stages, they describe through analogy that the mind is like this pond. And there are, we, we are throwing stones and bricks and there's mud and everything else inside there. We're not able to see our own reflection in it. We're not able to get it steady it's all cloudy and muddy and, and, it's, and, and constantly there's stuff that's being thrown inside there. So the disturbance is there all the time. But when the, when, when the mind reaches a stage of non-disturbance, yeah. that, that is something, that is, that is where, where self-mastery can really take hold at that point because, because it is mastery of the movement of the mind, it, it, it is masterfully moving through the activity that is that is going to occur in the mind. I mean, this is, in my thinking at least, uh, would you like to say something about this? I would say that the mastery there is that the mind now is a tool and not a master. So my right, consciousness right. can access my mind in a way that draws on skills, talents, education, wisdom, that it's all within this body of experience that I carry around. Definitely, definitely. And I can use it in the most precise, effective way, as opposed to just having my emotions and my body and my attention just kind of pulled in this direction, that direction, this direction. We've already talked about how rapid thoughts can come and yes. how contradictory they can be. Yeah. Like, you know, if you see a storm and, and you see a leaf, how it can just get buffeted and thrown all around. Um, recently, in our area, it, it, We've been having windstorms and, and, and tornadoes in a way that are bringing gigantic, huge, old growth branches, ripping them right off the trunk of the tree. And, and, and I have been more and more aware that some emotions can get so strong that that's exactly what they can be doing to me on an emotional and mental level that I, we're solid ground, we're solid ground. There's no coherence in my energy field. Yes, that's it, that's it, beautiful. That's, right? that's, that's the essence of the whole thing. I think that that's, can you talk, talk more about that? The, the, the coherence of personal energy field speaks volumes to me. Can you say more about that? Well, you know, we've been, we've been talking a lot about identity and, and identification yes. and and naturally the mind comes up as a primary um area of focus right right so when we have disciplined ourselves to be aware oh there's a thought there's a thought right and not 
allow the body and the brain to react to the thought. And that's a whole other story of how all those three are, 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 are linked together. But to just watch it go by, we're not feeding it. So over time, the more violent, the more intense, the more aggressive thoughts get weaned out because they're not being reinforced by attention. And therefore, the emotions aren't so wildly up and down. And therefore, the body is more calm and able to be in that resting state of nurturing all of the functions of the body instead of going yeah. into the fight, flight, or freeze modality simply because of the content of my thoughts, not because there's any danger around me. Exactly. Exactly. It, it, it's a matter of perspective. And you've talked about that before. It, it's a matter of perspective and, and how we are seeing things with, with what perspective, with what angle, with in which yes. way. Uh, it's a matter of attitude. So, so the quality of the mind can be enhanced. Yes. And we can engage our mind. How do I, I, I don't think I have words for this, but we don't have to activate the mind until we want it to do something. Yes. According yes. to my intention. Exactly. Right? Exactly. My intention is to create some little work of art, right? And and I if I'm not, you know, thinking about all of these other things that I can like or dislike or whatever, but if my I can discipline myself that, you know, when I'm in, say I want to do something with fabric, right? So I'm driving down the street and I see a fabric store and I remember, oh, I'd like some yellow cloth and some green string, maybe, I don't know. Um, and then very easily I can stop in, I can get what I need. And likely if I'm in that state, I'm going to find what I want or something even better as opposed to always having this nagging thing. Why haven't you gotten your cloth and your string together? What's wrong with you? It, you know, and, and whatever. And feeding my emotional state with a lot of intense energy. I, I don't know how to watch the news anymore without getting riled up in a yeah. way that's not healthy. Exactly. So we have about eight minutes left here. Um, I'm going to try to keep it to an hour. Um, so what you just mentioned right now about the news and, and, and whatnot, and, and then again, our general discussion about identification, we are so much feeding on the stimuli. The mind is just feeding on it, but, but it's feeding in a way that it's causing damage to the mind. It, it's, it's a very strange, very contradictory phenomenon. You know, uh, it, it, it's it's almost like if you were to draw a physical analogy with physiology, the physiology of the body is damaged by ingesting substances that may feel like pleasurable or something that, that are satisfying, but they're very, they're going to cause a lot of damage to the arteries or other organs of the body, things like that, you know? So it, it's remarkable how much input we're giving into the mind of the kind of stimuli that is causing damage to our core energy, our, 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 our energy structure, uh, and, and which is then having ramifications within the brain and the mind and emotions. And then, and then the problems at nighttime is a snowball effect and it's cumulative. And then, I, then it seems to me, see what you, what you would like to say about this, that, that the mind is then trying to recover from that damage you know and and then it's and then it's, it's just chasing itself essentially so uh, uh that's what it seems to be that way i would hypothesize something like that is going on your thoughts on that yeah i think what we're talking about is an internal feedback system the more you do something the more likely you are to do it again the more likely yes. you do it again the stronger the impulse and the urge yes. or whatever Yes. The habit because and and then the habit becomes your state of being. So now right. I'm just this uptight neurotic person all the time. Exactly. Exactly. Um, 
So I, uh, for me, it's been a great gift to actually explore the experience of myself as energy. It's a lot easier for me to think of mental energy than my thoughts, my beliefs, right? Sure. Because I haven't even questioned who is the my that's having the thoughts and the belief, much less the content of them and where it came from and what the... So to be able to try, to be able to identify things as energy, I think has offered me um, power to not identify with it and to look at it in a way that I can educate myself about, okay, what is the quality of that energy? And what is the nature of the energy? Because I don't even think we need to learn the laws of different forms of energy. All we need to do is be present to what does that energy feel like? And, and if you feed it, where does it go? If you ignore it, what does it do? And that has been very empowering. Emotional energy. Yes. Yes. Mental energy. Definitely. They're all a part of being in a human body, but I don't have to define myself by them or to let them run rampant on a subconscious level so that they take over and I don't even know they're in charge. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And um, there is there is such a such a responsibility that can awaken in this type of contemplation as you and I are contemplating and you're presenting these ideas other people in the future when they listen to these podcasts and recordings and whatnot it's it's a it's that we're encouraging each individual to be responsible to oneself by looking at these ideas that you have presented here Dr. Burma. Yes. So can you, so can yes. you uh, make some closing comments with that? With I just would say that give yourself um, the opportunity to start thinking about things as energy and see if that gives you some degrees of freedom in terms of just relaxing and observing things instead of having to judge them as good or bad and try and push them away or pull them close to you. Because energy is energy. It's going to move sooner or later. Yes, and no one can deny its existence. That's the beauty of it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. So, so, you know, maybe you think something and you think, oh, God, that's a terrible thought. Why would I ever think that? It's like, okay, that was mental energy. That was a really big storm cloud that just came across my consciousness. I don't Very need much. to figure out where it came from. If right. it was a yucky thought, a violent thought, probably because I'm surrounded by violence in every media that's around me these days. You know, people are hurting and we know about it. Okay, Dr. Berman, so uh, next time, just so you know, we will, I'll be asking you about identification a bit further where people identify with religious icons or some religious tradition or a meditative tradition in an attempt to transcend the identification that is binding the individual. So one identification to transcend another identification. So uh, just give you some, uh, uh, so, so we'll pick up on this question next time and I may send you some uh, 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 more detailed questions about this to your email, but just give some thought to this because uh, many religions do promise that you, know, you identify with their particular belief or their, the particular deity or whatever it might be scriptures and whatnot and go into those practices, it is a way of then going out of and de-identifying and transcending the limitations uh, of the worldly identifications. Uh, uh, so there are various degrees of this and there are some extreme levels of it also. For example, like the monks on Mount Athos, you know, that they, that they repeat the Jesus prayer and they're, they, they are renunciates and they're all men over there and, uh, and they are day and night, I mean, 24 hours there having a relationship with Jesus and they're kind of in that different world. Uh, so that's more of a more extreme or like a much more pronounced example of this, but there are obviously milder forms of this. 
just give this some thought because I like to pick your brain on this. I think it's a very interesting question, and uh, that'll also uh, and that'll also be helpful to the people listening to this. So, Dr. Berman, thank you very much. We'll pick thank up you. pick it up pick it up next time.